Season 2, Episode 31. After Hours with Paddy Callahan. Hey guys, it's David here. You'll recall that at the beginning of this season, I interviewed Paddy Callahan. She was the author of Becoming Mrs. Lewis, which was a novelized retelling of the romance between C.S. Lewis and his wife, Joy Davidman. Last week, Paddy sent out a tweet saying that she was going to be releasing her own podcast about the making of this book. So I immediately sent her a message asking if she would like to come on the podcast and tell us about it. She graciously accepted the invitation, and I was all set to interview her, but it soon became very clear that Matt wanted to do this interview. He had really enjoyed my interview with Paddy at the beginning of the season, and he had really wanted to talk to her. So this is what follows. This is Matt Bush interviewing Paddy Callahan about her new podcast. Enjoy. Friends, welcome back to Pints with Jack, the weekly podcast where typically David and I go through a chapter of C.S. Lewis and we discover the truth and beauty of Christianity. Except this week, we have a very special guest who is going to help us do this from the lens of C.S. Lewis's wife, Joy Davidman. So I am joined today by Patty Callahan, the New York Times bestselling author of Becoming Mrs. Lewis, and an individual who I know many of you are familiar with because she has been on this show before, and we got incredible feedback from you guys afterwards. So I am so excited to have her here because I was not a part of that interview, and I got to watch it before it was released. They did it through a video format, even though it was only audio. And I was like, ah, she is just incredible. I can't wait someday to be able to interview her, which is today. So Patty, welcome to the podcast. Well, that was quite the introduction. I will take it. Thank you, (laughs) Matt. I'm thrilled to talk to you. Thanks for having me again. You are welcome. Thank you for being here. And I was listening to the previous podcast and I loved how in the first minute when you realized it was just David, you're like, did I scare Matt off? And the way you said it, <laughs> yes, you did. And it made me laugh so much. And so I'm here to prove that you did not scare me off. This time we just scared Dave off. I scared him off after the first episode. So. <laughs> he wrote to me and he was like, Matt's going to do it this time. I'm like, what did I say wrong? What did I do? That's, it's, it's, as we learned from Joy's journey, that's the false self coming out. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Why don't you like me? That's exactly right. So before we jump in, there's so much I'm excited to talk about. But one thing that David and I always do is we have a drink. And I have not had this drink in a while, but because I've been so excited for this, I got some Macallan 12, which is my favorite single malt scotch. And so that's what I'm going to be drinking. And I thank you for allowing me to drink this at four in the afternoon, or I should say giving me an excuse to. This is great on a work day. I just, I feel like I just want one little sniff of it It, before we get going. I'll sniff it for you. And it's incredible. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Okay. I feel like I'm with you now. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Do you have anything you're drinking right now? Just a big glass of water. That's it. It's three o'clock in the middle of a work day for me. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cheers. Cheers. Lifting it to you. (laughs) I love it. So the quote of the week, I originally had her quote on becoming brave, but I realized Mm. as I re-listened to the old one that that's what was used in the last one. And so I switched it to one that I fell in love with when I finished the book last night. 
and it's a quote from your book. Oh. And so I don't know if this was a direct quote from Joy or if this is you speaking as Joy. But it says, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Before your face, questions die away. Mm, I love that. So that's, that's when she is talking about till we have faces and how she has started to understand that the questions die away um, in his face. Yes. Oh, I love that you picked that. Beautiful. Well, that was, I picked it because after finishing it, the end of your book, like the last, the whole book was incredible, but I was just underlining left and right the profoundness of her, you chose the title Becoming Mrs. Lewis, I assume, because that journey of bec- of becoming, uh, like ontologically, and I, she's starting to realize all of these things at the end, and it was just line after line after line as she's growing and becoming the person that God intended her to be, and her false self going off, and I'm like, this just summarizes it so beautifully, and that's some of the stuff I'd love for us to talk about today, so I thought this will be perfect for what we're going to chat about. Absolutely. In fact, um, originally the the title wasn't Becoming Mrs. Lewis. And part of the reason I changed it was because of exactly what you said, because as I was writing it and as a re- I realized that it wasn't just this improbable love story, even though it definitely is an improbable love story. When I realized it was this becoming of a woman from you know, her, she made a complete 180 and the becoming was so tumultuous and so beautiful and, and all the things that I knew that, that it was about becoming way more than it was about just a love story. Uh, I'm so glad you did too. My first experience with that concept of becoming was actually through the book, The Great Divorce, where a friend had talked to me about how that book is so much it's an ontological book about becoming the type of person that desires heaven above all else and saying to God, mm. thy will be done. And so to be able to see that in C.S. Lewis's wife, I was like, ah, oh, this is just so fitting. Uh, I, I was so happy. And then I think, you know, she didn't know that's what it was all about. She didn't know that that's where she was headed. She thought she just wanted a few answers from a smart person. She didn't realize that it was going to become this entire journey. I don't think any of us know it's going to be an entire journey when we first set out um, with the bigger questions. But that's what the bigger questions are for. And not a better person to ask them with than Joy and C.S. Lewis together. Mm. But getting ahead of ourselves, what I would love to do here is the listeners, if you guys want to, you can go listen to our first interview with Patty, where she talks a lot about the making of the book. But for those who are new, because we have a significant amount of new listeners since then, it would be wonderful if you could just share briefly a bit about yourself in the book for the new listeners. Okay. Um, I'm Patty Callahan, and this is my 14th novel, but it is the first historical novel I've ever written. And it's the first novel I've ever written about a real person. And I decided to write about Joy Davidman years ago in the middle of a kind of a, a why in the road where I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I became fascinated with this story. And like I just mentioned earlier, this improbable love story 
how did these two people who lived so far away, both emotionally, intellectually, physically, you know, New York versus Oxford, a married woman with two children. And I'm always fascinated by the story behind the story. And I felt like only the tip of the iceberg of this story had been told. And what most people knew about Joy Davidman, they knew from Shadowlands or they knew from A Grief Observed. And I felt like both of those were told completely from Lewis's point of view. They, both of those are about his grief and how much he loved her, which is beautiful. But what about her? Did she just like show up in England with a kid? Where's the backstory? And as soon as I started looking at the backstory, I realized that I wanted to write the transformational journey of this incredible, brilliant woman. And I was stunned by how her past had been hidden behind the shadowlands of Lewis, her her prodigy genius, her, her award-winning poetry, her novels, her essays, her short stories, the way that she'd helped him with his work. And um, that's why I wrote the book. That really surprised me was the amount that she helped him. I mean, she's practically editing many of his last works she's influencing him was a massive influence until we have faces i had no idea that she played that big of a role in his life for that long of a period i didn't either i mean when i first started researching it i kept like doing that you know palm smack to the forehead like <laughs> why does no why has nobody talked about this you know, I considered myself not a Lewis scholar by any means, and I still don't consider myself a Lewis scholar, but I consider myself knowledgeable about Lewis. You know, I grew up, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in a house full of Lewis books. I've read Lewis all of my life. And I had no idea, first of all, that they had a 10-year relationship from the first letter that she ever wrote to him to her death was 10 years, 1950 to 1960. The movie and and the little knowledge that I had made it look like they were really only together for a few years. And then if you start to reread his work, especially the last decade of his work with an eye towards joy, you'll you'll find it. And that just, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to, now that I've been exposed to this, to reread his work. And there's one in particular I'm very excited about. It's the one that we are going to be doing for our upcoming season. And that's Till We Have Faces. And I had no idea the impact and influence she had on creating that. And not only the direct influence of encouraging him to do it, but the fact that it's so much about her life, or at least it, it, mm. it, he might not have intended it to be, but either subconsciously or intentionally. I mean, it's amazing seeing the influence she had and in the role that she played throughout the making of that. And I'm curious from your perspective, as you were putting this together, did you... Uh, intend for that to come through so strongly? Was this, was it just more natural because it, it is such a part of her life? Like she's such a part of the book or how it was just so incredible to me in the end when it all came together. Like, was that something that was very intentional or how did you come about knowing that and realizing that? No, it was completely intentional once I discovered it, obviously, but <laughs> I, there were two, there were two major themes that I noticed in her life. There were, 
in the book, you'll read about loads of major themes. And I know we'll talk in a minute about the my podcast, but this is one of the subjects. There's an entire podcast about Till We Have Faces. But one of the things I noticed was this theme in her life of not only lions, which is fascinating. It's like these little fingerprints in her life. And then, you know, on, on stalks into her life, you know, Aslan. And yet her lions had been an integral part of her life in different ways. But the other was this idea of wearing a mask, this idea of a false self, this idea of hiding behind the mask of, of her false self and how she talked about that even before they started writing Till We Have Faces. You can see it in her poetry. You can see it in some of her letters. You can see how she used, she talks about how she used her intelligence because she was a genius, how she used her intelligence as an armor and a mask. And then it shows up in this book as the major theme in the novel. The main character wears a veil over her face. And uh, how could we not include it? It's part of their journey together. It's part of the hidden story beneath their story, not only in that novel, but in their lives. So, I, yes, I brought that out with complete intentionality. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm very glad you did because that was probably one of the most relatable parts of Becoming Mrs. Lewis, the book for me, because every single person can relate to that false self, true self. We've all, mm. yeah, because of the wounds that we take on in life, we all have put on these masks and these false selves. And so as I'm reading this, there's times where my heart is just aching when her false self is just roaring and attacking. And you captured it so well, those different scenes where it comes out. And I, I was, it was brutal to read in the best sense possible. You did a great job capturing it. But when she met Tolkien... And I was like, oh, and she just felt so small and so weak. And he was not giving her even the time of day. And that was just so painful for me to read because I'm like, oh, I've been in that moment where you're with a person and your your false self just makes you feel small inside. Yes. And, you know, joy, unfortunately, grew up that way. So we know, you know, psychologically that if we have a wound or we have something that that's tender and someone hits on it, especially in a public place, it's like, oh, woof, right? Like you just, you collapse inside. And Joy grew up that way. She grew up with a family that did not support her and love her in the ways that we, you know, that, that, that encourage someone in their lives. And so she already had all these deep wounds of rejection and not good enough and not worthy. Then she marries a man who treats her as if she's not good enough and not worthy. So she's carrying this around. Um, it always makes me think of that Carl Jung um, quote, which I will mess up, but <laughs> that's but all right. But to, but to paraphrase is, you know, if we don't make the unconscious conscious, the unconscious will rule our lives and we will call it fate. And I think that's a lot of what was happening with joy is that she was allowing all of that unconscious pain and false self to rule her life until she didn't. Oh, I've never heard that quote before, but that is profound. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> that's going to get stored in my repertoire. I know. I, always, I have it on a little note somewhere in my office. Because I'd like to be reminded of that, not only in the writing, but in life in general. 
That's so good. And on top of loving that journey that you so beautifully portrayed of the false self to the true self, I really loved as a, a Christian striving to be the best version I can be of myself and a conduit for Christ, I loved how well you painted the picture of Lewis in that journey. Of course, God is the person that's um, creating that transformation, but Lewis played such an important role of speaking worth into her and, or calling out her worth is maybe a better way of putting it. And I just loved witnessing that in action because it just gave you an example of what we're all called to be. Lewis did it so well. And so I love that. If we all only had, you know, had that in our lives all the time, we'd all be better people. And I, I, I talk a lot about when she first wrote to Lewis, she was looking for something that would satisfy her intellect, her logic, her spiritual mind, and her experience. She wanted something that satisfied all of those. And then in enters this man who can argue intellectually, <laughs> spiritually, logically, and emotionally, and and she's, she's, what is happening? This is one person who sees me. And that's what he did. He saw her. Oh, and then I love too how she, as much as she saw him doing that, she still recognized at the end, he still isn't what she was ultimately longing for, but God was. Mm, and yes. that's like the, one of the main themes we're probably going to constantly discuss until we have faces is when your natural loves are infused with divine loves. That's when they become perfect. If they're not infused with divine loves or divine love, then they can become corrupt. And it's just such a beautiful example of that with her. And so I want to encourage all our listeners to read your book before we start till we have faces because it's the most perfect example, modern day example of someone going on that journey and going from the false self to the true self, being infused with divine love, um, seeing her love transform. So, oh, incredible job. Well, and it's about wondering what all that longing is pointing to. Yes. I'm glad you, know, you said It's that. not just the longing in and of itself, but what is it pointing toward? And she, all of her life, if you, especially if you read her poetry and, and works in the 30s, she always thought all that longing was pointing to men right? Or to satisfaction in her career. And, and she, as you well know about joy, she didn't do anything a little bit. We were joking a minute ago, you and I off the air about if anything's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. <laughs> and I think that that was joy. I think she just, if she was going to seek, she was going to seek until she found, if she was going to pursue, she was going to pursue until she got, she, if she was going to love, she was going to love until you know, there was nothing left. And so once she realized what that longing was pointing toward, she could change things. And the, the last thing I'll say on this, cause I don't want to take up too much of your time talking about the book. Um, but I want to give you a chance to talk about the podcast, but I'm like, uh, since I've newly read this, I'm just geeking out over the book. And so I just love doing this. But I love Listen, we can talk about the book as for hours. I love, it's my favorite subject. It's my favorite subject. Oh, I'm so glad. It's becoming mine very quickly. And one thing I loved at the very end was how it seems like it's a journey of joy, losing her false self and finding her true self. And it is. But I felt at the end, you see Lewis as well. His might be 
more subtle because he seems already so there, you know, virtuous, following his moral guides by the time he met Joy. But he had his own masks of not allowing him to feel too much, it seemed like, or letting her in. And she took those masks away. He almost like hided behind his reason and his rationale and his intellectual side. And I love seeing at the end that just breakthrough. So it's a bit of a different transformation, but equally as, in my mind, profound. And so I love that. I, and I loved writing it. It was, I, I almost imagined it when I finally got to that part and finally understood. It took me a long time to understand as much as we can on this side of the grave. Um, what took so long. And I imagined him standing there and this full coat of armor falling off him. Mm. That was the visual I had when I was writing that scene, like this full coat of thick, like all the, the, the shield and the, the mask and the helmet. And it just all just like falling to the ground. It, it, and he's just standing there as a man. And I feel like that's what happened. Yeah, that was his moment of, because as you mentioned there, they thought of calling it bare face. That's when he was like bare face for her when he let his guards down and you did a great job portraying the armor just falling off because as he's going back and I've loved you since the beginning or for the longest time now. And I just didn't express it. He's just pouring this all out over a few pages. Mm. I'm like, Oh, this is so beautiful. Thank you. Yes. Quick random question. Do you feel it's pretty conclusive? The whole Mrs. Moore in his relationship with her as there's a few pages when you were talking about that. And I'm like, Oh, it's almost like the drama in the book or the suspense. I was curious. Cause you're always thinking Lewis is this perfect Christian writing from the perfect perspective. You're trying to emulate. And it was nice knowing that he was human and potentially had some flaws. Oh, well that is when people ask me what was one of the biggest surprises when you were writing this book, I often say Lewis finally became human for me. He finally stepped out of that cast stone statue and walked off the pedestal and became a real man. And once you start to really understand his life as much as we can on this side, and you know, you could spend your whole life studying Lewis and you won't know him as he knew himself, but the, he was a wounded person, a man. He lost his mom when he was nine years old. He went to a horrific boarding school. He went, he saw horrors in World War I that he would never speak about. And Mrs. Moore was one of those subjects that I didn't want to write about because it is a mystery. Lewis never, for as far as we know, um, Lewis never for sure told anyone what the full story of that relationship was. What we do know is that after he became a Christian, there wasn't a relationship. Was there one before that? You know, everybody has their theories. Everybody has their guesses. I have mine. But nobody knows because he never said. And I felt like to avoid the subject in the book was to be false. Just the same as I felt um, that when I portrayed some of Joy's tougher choices that I didn't want to show because you might not like her if I show them, right? And so I, both times when I would feel about leaving things out, I could almost hear Joy saying, 
You get all of us or none of us. You don't leave out the hard parts. Mm. You don't leave out the terrible decisions I made. I don't care if they like me. This was my journey. And it freed me up to write about the harder things, even if we don't know the answers to those harder things. Well, I am very glad you put those hard things in because that I couldn't agree more how relatable Lewis became. And as someone who's played such a big influence in my life, when my time I'd spent that year at Oxford and read the first book on Addison's walk of his and started coming back to Christianity, like he's been such a pivotal role, but I've never surprised by joy helped me understand a bit about his life, but you made me get into his life. And so I'm so glad you did that. And even some of those were their theories. It's just helpful to know that, you know what, he was human and you can still be such a strong Christian and a love for God, but just be flawed in so many ways. And so I I was just, ah, I was so glad you did that. Well, can I say that I am beyond envious that you lived in Oxford for a year. I'm trying to find a reason to do such a thing, but (laughs) Um, but they, one of the other things about Lewis and, and hurt and being human was we look at him as this revered Oxford Don, which he was, he was, he, he, he was revered he was the most popular lecturer, but you know, he was turned down three times for advancement at Oxford. You know, he lost that debate that, that changed his life. And he, he never wrote another apologetic after that. He, he was knocked off his pedestal a few times. And when we can think about him being just this guy trying to write books, trying not to fall in love, living with his brother, teaching, tutoring, he, he becomes very real instead of an icon that we put a, a nimbus around. Um, now I'm one of Lewis's most ardent readers, so I get that. But at the same time, he's a man. Which is probably good for me to hear because I've got to uh, be careful of not making a false idol out of Lewis. <laughs> I think I quote him more than yes, I quote the Bible. And I, there's so many times when I say to people, hey, you know what, Lewis once wrote this as if like that's Jesus yeah. saying something. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Um, I think there's a lot of weight to what he says, but it's easy to think it's like God speaking when Lewis speaks. And so that's, I'm glad you've done that for me. But I I think that's funny that you said that because one of the scenes in the book, I have Joy talking to Chad Walsh about him. Chad Walsh is the man who lived with Lewis for six months and wrote the book Apostle to the Skeptics and became very dear friends with Joy. And Joy loved to talk to Chad about Lewis. And I have Chad saying in the book, you know, I think he would tell you to follow Jesus, not him. And um, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I love it. So let's take a step back now. And we had you on, I think it was February. And this book has been a incredible success, which I'm so happy for you for. So what has been happening over the last six, seven months since you've been on and since the book has been released and uh, bringing you here today? Wow. She has had the craziest journey. And lucky for me, she's taken me with her. But we have been from the UK to the book of the month in Ireland. Canada's main bookstore, Indigo, chose her as the book of the month in June. We we traveled to 
I say we because Joy goes with me. We traveled to Canada. I know. Um, And sometimes I'll even say, Joy, you never got to visit Canada when you were alive. Look what we're doing, (laughs) you know. And so we got to do big events in Toronto. And it's been published in Norway and Denmark and Australia. We've done book clubs in Australia on Skype. We have been... I know it has been a wild ride. And, and I always say we, when I say that, because yes, I wrote the book and yes, I spent years doing the research and yes, I was devoted to getting it right. But this isn't my story, right? This is her story as best as I know how to tell it. Maybe somebody could have told it better or maybe there, and there's probably, I know there's more to tell, which is why we're doing the podcast, but this is her story. And so when I'm asked to speak or travel or, or they pick it as another, she just, we just found out we're a finalist in the Christie Awards. Whenever anything wow. ha- like that happens, it's always about her. It's her story that people want to talk about. So that's how I feel about that. Well, I couldn't agree more. As I finished the book, I became a big fan as hers as I was C.S. Lewis. I was, I was oh, like, I'd love to hear that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I want to meet her just as much as I want to meet C.S. Lewis. And I already can't, this is, I don't mean this in a morbid way, but I already can't wait for whenever I pass and um, go on to this next life and the joys that that brings to be able to meet C.S. Lewis. But now I can't wait to meet them both. And so I love that you use the terminology we. That's incredible. Yes. That's how I feel. I have a picture of her in my office. <laughs> and it's not, it's because it's not icon status like Lewis. I just feel like we're a team. I feel like we're a team getting her story out in the world in a way that it never was before. I feel like in the time she was born and in the time she was a writer and in the time she lived, her story got buried. And it's time for people to talk about her story. And and you get invested in it as a reader. I was I texted David this as I was maybe 80 or 90 pages in, I think that's roughly when she goes to England and Renee's staying with her. And I'm now already falling in love with her. And then she leaves. And I literally text David, I go, if this guy, meaning Bill, because I really didn't like him, I said, if he sleeps with Renee or something, like I was so invested. (laughs) And so then I had to go Google this before I finished it. Like I had to jump ahead and I like Wikipedia. (laughs) It was in Wikipedia. And I'm like, no, I just, I'm so angry right now. But I say that because that's how much I got invested in her life because of the way you wrote. I was just so frustrated with him in that moment. Me too. Oh, well, you mentioned the podcast, which is one of the reasons you are here today. I'm so excited to hear you're going to be doing a podcast, especially now reading this, to hear more about it. But can you tell us what, well, first of all, what the podcast is titled so listeners can go find it, but then also why it came about and what it's going to be on? Oh, it is called Behind the Scenes of Becoming Mrs. Lewis. And at first we wanted, I wanted to call it the lost chapters of becoming Mrs. Lewis, but I lost, I lost the uh, conversation. So it's called (laughs) behind the scenes, which is actually great. But the reason I did it and the reason it all came about was because honestly, this book could have been a trilogy. There is so much about their lives that is interesting, but nobody was going to read three books to wait and see them get together. Right. So there was so much I had to leave out of this book, years of research. 
And I talked to the most interesting people when I was writing this book and I read the most interesting things and then that I had to leave out. And then when I hit the road and started talking about her and started getting questions, I can answer the questions um, to the best of my ability, but there are for almost all the bigger questions, there's an expert that can do a better job than I can. And so there are experts in, uh, you know, each subject. And I thought, how can we get their stories out there? So for a little bit, I thought about writing a nonfiction book. And then my publishing house, HarperCollins, Thomas Nelson, started brainstorming and thought how fun it would be to do a podcast where I flip the tables and I'm interviewing people about the very questions that are asked of me. So each episode takes one of the bigger questions I get asked on the road or that I asked while I was writing the book, and I found an expert for that and talked to them about it. I think this is a great idea because, as you said, you're reading the book and you want more, which is a great thing. You're, you're like, there's just so many different stories here and dif- different things going on that I, I, I think this is incredible format. So I'm glad you're doing this. So who are some of the people you're going to be interviewing? Oh, it's been so much fun. Um, so the first two episodes are with her son, Douglas Gresham, oh. and Lewis's stepson. And the first, the, both those episodes are called What About the Children? So I titled each episode after the questions I get. And when I'm on the road, people are like, but what about the children? And so the first two episodes are called What About the Children? And I divide them neatly um, and sadly for Douglas to talk to us about their life before cancer and then to talk about their life after she was diagnosed with cancer. And he lived alone with um, Warney and Jack. The third episode is this whole idea of people who ask, did Lewis lose his faith after Joy died? Because if you read A Grief Observed, if you want to jump to that conclusion, you can quite easily. So Dr. David Downing, who is the co-director with his wife, Crystal Downing, of the Wade Center, has an amazing essay he wrote after doing a very deep dive into Lewis's book, A Grief Observed. He has an essay called A Grief Obscured, and he talks to us about the hidden messages that are seem to be inside a grief observed and his theories of what Lewis is saying in that book. So that's the third. The fourth episode is um, one of my favorite, which is why did Lewis choose joy? Why joy is what that one's called. And I have two women I talk to, which is com- the way it should be. And one is Dr. <laughs> one is Dr. Crystal Hurd, and the other is Dr. Crystal Downing. And they each have a different theory on why joy. And Crystal Hurd believes it is because Lewis's mother, Flora, was as strong and forthright and assertive and brilliant as joy, and that she was this template for Lewis to understand a strong woman. And then Crystal Downing talks to us about how his deep friendship with Dorothy Sayers helped prepare him for joy. Because Dorothy Sayers was such a profoundly independent, strong, assertive woman. The next episode is called Muse and Co-Author, and it's about with Andrew Lazo, and that is the one where we talk about Joy as Lewis's muse and co-author and collaborator and editor. And that was so interesting. 
The next one is called The Lost Love Sonnets. Mm. And um, I had such an amazing time delving into this because the love sonnets were a spine for my novel. They were a guiding principle in my novel. They were, they were the touch point I would return to when I was unsure about Joy's emotional state at a particular time. And so Dr. Don W. King, who is at Montreat, is an expert on her poetry. He has published all of her poetry and all of her letters. And his book, A Naked Tree, publishes the love sonnets. And he dissects and analyzes the love sonnets in a narrative format in that book. And we had the best conversation. I was at, we just had, and he reads her poetry, and we. I learned so much from that forty-minute oh. discussion in Montreat. And then the last one for now, because there will be bonus episodes. But the last one for now is called "Surprised by Love" instead of "Surprised by Joy." Oh. And, and that one is also with Andrew Lazo and all of his theories of how joy broke that armor off of C.S. Lewis and how his love for her surprised him. I'm, I have so many emotions going through me right now. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm particularly, I make those, first of all, those topics are perfect because I can imagine, I can understand why people always ask about the kids. Cause I was thinking that I'm, I was, what happened after she died? Douglas, Avi, that journey with C.S. Lewis as a fatherly figure, how did that impact them? And so I have so many questions with that, so I'm excited for that. The sonnet one, I, you said that was one of, you love that one. I, oh, uh, I love that one. That, the, this, you chose the most brilliant sonnets for each chapter. You would, We would be finishing a chapter, and then I would read the sonnet, and I'm like, wow, that just perfectly fit with exactly where she's at in this part of her life. And they were so beautiful. I love them. So I'm one excited to buy that book. I did not know that existed. So I need to go buy that book with the narrative format and can't wait for that episode. Oh, I mean, there's, there's, there's a poem she wrote. I I love a lot of her poems, obviously, but one of my (laughs) favorites is um, called yet one more spring. And in it, she's talking about her own death. And yet she wrote it in 1938. Whoa. I know. So it's so profoundly beautiful. She she starts with like, what will become of me after the fern has feathered from my brain? (laughs) And it's so profoundly beautiful. And then when she was, you know, became very sick in the novel and I looked back at that poem, it just racked me. So we talk a lot about things like that. Oh, you're thinking, what will become of you? You're becoming your fullest self in the moment when you think you're at your weakest, probably. Lewis is loving you. You're you're letting, you're surrendering to God's will at that moment. I mean, oh, that is, well, it gives you chills hearing that. And then she talks about what, um, what, what she would leave with the person who loved her. And she obviously didn't know Lewis. It was 1938. She wrote her first letter to him in 1950, but she says, under the quiet passion of the spring, I will leave you the trouble of my heart. Oh, oh, oh right. Oh. Wow. Yes. This is seriously, God was guiding her life in truly the most profound way. And, it, and she did. And what's amazing is she didn't see it, didn't see it, didn't see it. And then she saw it. It's like it's like something hidden, 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 and and someone pulls this veil aside, and you're like, oh, yeah. 
what, oh, I'm not going to be able to remember it other than like 30% of it. But there's that quote where she, oh, she was talking to Lewis about what she was afraid of. And he was like, maybe you're not afraid of God's will, but you're afraid of what it's going to do to you. Oh, I wish right. I, I wish it's I, something, something to the effect of, I'm going to get it wrong too. Cause I don't have it in front of me, but, um, you know, when we pray, do we pray thy will be done or do we pray my will be done? And and then what it feels like to surrender to that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and actually, okay, I just found it. It was, Ooh. I put it in my notes somewhere. Maybe you aren't doubting that God will do the best for you, but wondering how painful the best would be. Oh. It's like, wow, okay, that's profound. So true. So true. And what's so interesting is that what's true for them in the particular is true for us in the universal. And so we can take, it's not just about Joy and Jack, and neither is the podcast, right? It's about us and our journeys too, so. Well, I really hope this podcast turns, I hope you fall in love with doing podcasting and become so popular, you keep doing it. Because... Oh, from, from your mouth to God's ear. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so going through the podcast, you obviously did an incredible amount of research for the book. Was there something new that sticks out to you that you learned that you did not know even after all of the research that you did for the book? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I, I probably said 10 times in all these interviews, oh, I want to go back and put that in the book. <laughs> I want to go back and put that in the book. So, but I don't think it ends. For example, I was at the Wade Center in, I guess it was December, and they pulled out some things that I hadn't seen when I was doing my research. And one of them was, because I didn't tell them what I was doing. I was very, I wrote this in secret. So they probably would have showed them to me if I had told them. But they were, when I went back to talk about the book, they brought out the books that Joy owned but had been written by Lewis. So they were Lewis's books, but they belonged to her. And she had written in the margins. You know, she had written little annotative notes in the margins. No way. As if she were talking to him. Oh. I was like, oh, I want to go back and put all of this in the book. So it's the same thing with these interviews, like talking to David Downing about the grief or Douglas's stories of childhood or what I learned from Don about the poetry or what Andrew has to teach us about um, her, her participation and some of the language until we have faces. These are all just take the, the story one level deeper than we already had. And I can imagine each of these people you could talk to four, five, six episodes. Like you could go Absolutely. into so much detail. I mean, that was actually the hardest part of, of the podcast for me was trying to find a container for it. So I, I needed to find a container for each episode. Was the container a subject or was it a person or was it a chapter in the book or was it? So that was the hardest part because there was just so much interesting material. How do we put it in these little packages that have labels on them? Because there was so much to talk about. So well, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir right now because as I was prepping for this, I was thinking I could talk for an hour until we have faces. I could talk about becoming, we can talk exactly. about the podcast. Like, how do I keep this targeted so we get a little bit of everything for the listeners? Absolutely. I get it. 
Oh, so there's a there's the book, there's the podcast. There's please tell me at some point there's going to be a movie because this blows Shadowlands out of the water. The Becoming Mrs. Uh, Lewis. Well, thank you. Um, maybe you have a director you can call. Um, <laughs> it's actually um, there is a production company and they are amazing. The head of it is a man named Todd Komernicki, and he wrote the screenplay and helped produce Sully and. and he actually did the Bonhoeffer screenplay coming up and he and his team along with me are developing it but they envision it as a limited tv series because there is so much to show um that would be incredible I know so you know you try not to get too excited about these things but at the same time I am I'm really hopeful because I think that there are people and 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 non-readers who will fall in love with this story just as much as we have, but they need it. They need it on the screen. They. This reminded me. Have you read *A Severe Mercy* by Sheldon Vinokin? Yes. Oh. Yes. Well, right. Yes. Yeah. Your book reminded me. So I recommend that to people all the time because I love the love story. I love the Lewis aspect. I love the Christian aspect. This reminded me of that because I thought, you know, this is something I can give to an atheist, a Christian, um, anyone along the spectrum, because there's just such a beautiful story here that everyone can relate to in their journey. And I thought the big truth they can take away from it is that false self, true self, the longing. Um, well, anyways, I was, I had learned that they're adopting the, the a severe mercy for a movie and I was so excited. Oh, and so, I didn't know that. Yeah. I uh, met the guy who, um, I guess owns the company that bought the rights, call it. And, uh, so anyways, I was like, oh, this needs to be doing that same thing. I feel like this could be just as big. It's just such an incredible book. So I really do hope, even though it's only a potential at this stage, I, I am excited if it does come about. Oh, I have, I think it's, I think it, 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 it can happen. And it's, it's, uh, it's such a visual story. It is. Um, it's such a visual story. Uh, It's 1950s. It's New York. It's the literary world. And then you're in Oxford and then you're at Maudlin and then you're at the (laughs) Kilns. I mean, the visual, I know the visual alone is, is just stunning. And then, and I love that you say that you could give it to anyone because I I, I always hesitate when, when it gets cast or, um, or pinholed or, or genre as Christian fiction. You can't see me, but I'm using quotation marks (laughs) because, um, of course there, you know, Lewis and joy were Christians, but this is a novel about a transformational journey. This is a novel about a woman who was an atheist and a communist and married to an abusive alcoholic breaking free in her life. And that's what it's really about. And, and oh, I, you couldn't have put that better. And the beautiful thing is a true Christian journey, that transformation, that finding Christ is, as you put so deeply and so well in this book, it's finding what truly fills that longing that every person can relate to, Christian, atheist. Like that was my life story. I When I almost became an atheist my junior year when I was at Oxford and then eventually came to Christianity, it was, I was filling that hole, that longing that she talked about filling with men. I was filling it with accomplishments. And you know what? It left me deep, deeply dissatisfied. I actually thought I'm at Oxford. I should be the happiest I should be because 
at this stage in college, this is one of the better achievements I could ex- experience. And I was so deeply dissatisfied. I was borderline like in the state of depression when I was there. And I'm thinking this is the exact opposite of how I should be feeling. And so this book is all about like, this is what truly fills that longing. And so everyone can relate to trying to fill that hole in us with different things. And so I, I think this could be given to any human being and they will fall in love with it. Yeah. I, and, and that's what I hoped when I wrote it, when I was trying to decide which way to steer towards things, I always tried to stay in, in, in the lane of this transformational journey that was of course, completely written by and influenced by Christ and had God's fingerprints all over it. And yet it wasn't, I didn't want to preach to the choir about what people should do with their lives. I wanted to show Joy's story. Well, you nailed it by showing what she did with it and how it worked out for her. <laughs> so yeah, bravo. There you go. Yep. I'm curious, this might be a bit of a more personal or tougher question, but from when you finished writing this book or even just from the journey of beginning this book to now, how has this transformed your relationship with Christ or your journey or spiritual journey, just getting to know her? I think one of the the biggest things for me, if I'm just you know going to kind of wrap it up in a nutshell, is this idea of, of, of it being completely okay to ask the bigger questions. Mm. It's really okay not to understand and to admit you don't understand and to ask the questions and to live in the mystery and to change your mind. Yes. Wait, wait. Maybe that isn't right. Maybe this one thing, whatever it might be, that I've always believed isn't isn't working because it isn't true with a you know capital T. And I just feel like she is a great example of someone who can have this faith and live in the mystery, but never, ever, ever stop asking the questions. I love that. And then... Tell us a bit about, because we're going to be at this retreat in in North Carolina, is it? I should know this. In the fall. I'm, no, Houston. Houston. Okay. So you are going oh, to- Wait, wait, wait. I want to back up and say one thing. Oh, yes. One of my favorite things about Joy's spiritual journey, and, and you asked how it affected mine, is this great quote she has. It's my second favorite quote of hers, the Ooh. first one about bravery. And it is this quote that says, life is too intense to be forever endured with logic alone. Mm. And so that that is what, to me, her spiritual lesson, her spiritual life affects my spiritual life, is with, with that statement. You know, we know life is too intense to forever be endured with logic alone. And yet, where does that take us? What do we do with that knowing? So um, I'm really yeah. glad. Are, well, you com- are you coming to Houston? Well, we're actually real quick. Now I'm going <laughs> to go back here. I'm really okay. glad you said that because one of my mentors in college had taught me, I, I struggle. I'm in the Lewis camp. I'm super r- rational reason based person. And he said, mm-hmm. sometimes you can meet miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance between your head and your heart. And mm. I, that was one thing. If you asked me like, how did this book transform me to see the way that she brought the emotion and the feeling into it and balance that with the ration and the reason. Like, I love that because I can get caught up in like the Lewis camp of everything. So rational. And he's giving her rational responses to everything. And she's like, but I feel this way. And, and I had this experience yes. and I, I, there's something more. And I, 
I want your logic, but there's something more than logic. And like, you just can go around and around and yes. Oh, so I'm glad you said that. Um, but to go to this retreat, I did not know this Texas one. David hasn't told me. I only knew of the Montreat one in November. So tell me about this Texas one. And if I'm free, I'm definitely going to go. I am not at the one at Montreat. That is during the Christie Awards, and I'm speaking there in Nashville. But the there is a retreat in Houston called at Camp Allen, and it is the um, I think it's called the C.S. Lewis. I can tell you exactly. It looks. I mean, it is going to be fascinating. And I'm going to be there. Andrew Lazo is going to be there. Mm. Um, his wife, who who's, teaches on Narnia, will be there. No. But it is a C.S. Lewis um, Foundation retreat. And it is at Camp Allen in right outside of Houston, Texas, on November 15th to 17th. And there are some fascinating speakers and singers. And the subject this year is um, it is the creative collaboration and friendships of Lewis, Tolkien, and then, of course, Joy. Wow. Well, I can already tell you if my weekend is free <laughs> or whatever that period is, I'm going to be going to that. That sounds incredible. So you'll be. Oh, I really wish you would come. Yeah, we'd have fun. Meet oh. face to face. And then I will have some scotch with you. <laughs> I love it. If we get David to come, he can bring some of Lewis's VAT 69. He brought that back from him from the UK. I guess that's what it's he- so funny. He asked me on, on our last interview if I knew what his favorite drink was. And I said, I don't. That's a great question. And he went and found out. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes, the retreat is called The Joyful Journey, Lewis Tolkien and the Creative Power of Friendship. Okay, if that's not the best title, The Joyful Journey. Yep. I love it. And so you'll be speaking, I'm assuming, about joy? I will. I'm speaking three different times. I'm teaching a class on writing kind of biographical fiction. I'm speaking about joy. And then Andrew and I are doing a a panel on how Lewis and Joy collaborated. Um, yeah. Well, that There's sounds There's some like, great. Ah, yeah. well that sounds incredible. Well, as we as we wrap up here, so tell us a bit about some upcoming things. We've already talked about the podcast. We've talked about this uh, retreat coming November 15th to 17th. What are some other things on the horizon that you'd like to share with individuals listening to this who have now gotten super excited with you, with your work, with Joy Davidman? Uh, what else could we get excited about? Mm, I think, you know, as we head into the fall and winter season, and if somebody's listening to this way past then, I mean, <laughs> I think I think that, um, you know, tuning into the podcast and the paperback of the novel comes out in March of 2020. And there's always loads of speaking engagements and, and events to follow on my website. I'm easy to find, Patty Callahan. And there's always something new and interesting going on with her. So this story isn't fading away. It's growing. So I'm excited about that. Uh, Well, thank you for everything that you have done to share the story of joy, to share more about the life of Lewis. Thank you 
from the bottom of my heart for being on this podcast. This has been truly a privilege and an honor. I've loved having you on, and this has been fantastic having this conversation with you. And I know the listeners have loved it as they hear this. Oh, Matt, I love meeting you too. I hope I hopefully we'll do so in person sooner rather than later. Yes, I will make this happen. And I'm going to apologize in advance for when I do, because whenever it happens, I'm going to probably bring like 10 books and have you sign them so I can give them to people with your signature on them. And you know, I, you know, I can mail you those too. <laughs> we can, that's a thing. That's a thing. Mailing sign books is a thing. You're funny. I like overdoing everything, you know, as we I know, talked about earlier. That's our thing. <laughs> just want, keep going. Exactly. I got to get these in person. There's just another level to it. So listeners, please feel free as we wrap this up to contact us. If you have any questions about this podcast, if you have any questions about Patty, you can contact us. We can pass them along or you can contact her. Subscribe to her podcast. It sounds like it's going to be incredible. Uh, I've listened to the trailer. We got a sneak peek and it is going to be amazing. And we look forward to when we see you again next week as we go further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers to you. I hope you all enjoyed that episode. Please find out more about the podcast at pintswithjack.com and please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at pintswithjack. And join us next week when Matt and I will be going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.